You're listening to The Remix Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Rupnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. I'm back today with a very special guest and a very special topic. I'm here with Nikki. Nikki, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Jana. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Nikki's also a fellow Texan uh, with me, not too far away, actually. And she is on the journey to use donor eggs. And Nikki has a very unique perspective because she's speaking to us today about um, a community that we don't get to hear from very much, and that is the Black community. And I think this is such an important topic. I think we see a lot out there, um, more and more, which is great about infertility in general, but just not necessarily speaking to different cultural backgrounds and ethnicities. I am super, super pumped that you reached out, um, Nikki, and would love to hear your perspective and have, you know, have some questions for you. And I know that you're going to teach me some things today. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Well, I wanted to start out by saying, you know, I do see clients and I have over the years, um, they come to me that their doctor, they should recommend that you come to counseling before you use a donor. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is just an ASRM recommendation. It's not because, you know, anything's wrong with you or anything like that. It's just to talk through some of the harder aspects of it, donor conception. And I have heard unique concerns from clients that are within the black community. And one of the concerns is that, you know, it is something that isn't talked about. And you mentioned that briefly to me also Mm -hmm. um, when we spoke. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell me a little bit more about that and you know, that I know that's something that's been around for a long time as far as shame and silence, but is there anything unique or that makes it a little even more difficult within your community? Yeah, I think it's um, several different things. I think for one, for I think no matter who you are, what your um, ethnicity or racial background may be, just the whole subject of trying to conceive an infertility um, can sometimes bring a lot of shame and embarrassment and that can result in a lot of silence around you. Um, A lot of times you don't really know anyone else is going through it or you feel like you're the only one. And I think that that's sometimes magnified um, within other uh, racial and ethnic backgrounds and specifically the African-American community. It's not something that's really widely discussed. Um, I didn't know a lot of people in my community who were struggling with infertility. I mean, sure, I'd known people in my community who had suffered a miscarriage, which is in its own way a form of loss, but it really hadn't uh, come into contact with a lot of people who were speaking openly about having difficulty trying to conceive. Um, and I think when you are looking for resources and you're going through this really difficult process and you're feeling so alone, um, you're just really struggling to find someone who you can relate to, someone who you can identify with. Um, and I think in the African American community, it's definitely something that's not openly talked about. Um, a lot of people are told, you know, just pray about it. You keep it to yourself. You only talk to it, talk about um, it with your partner, and you don't go outside of the home, so to speak, to um, get input on that type of thing. So it can be okay. even more isolating. Do you, is that a generational thing, or is that? You know, like, for example, is that are you hearing that from both your parents and your grandparents or mostly your grandparents or even your peer group as well? So I think we were really fortunate um, in the sense that we have a lot of support from our our parents and and peer group and grandparents and so forth that um, I didn't feel as isolated from them. I did, however, feel like when I would go 
to look for other women who were going through something similar. Um, I wasn't able to find anyone who looked like me. So it was um, looking for different resource groups or support groups or getting someone else's perspective. Like, hey, how did your family react to um, your infertility journey? Or what are others saying? Or what are some of the options that you've explored? How um, have people reacted to you thinking about adoption or thinking about using alternative forms of, of reproduction? And um, I didn't really find a lot of people that I could go to to have those conversations with. Yeah. During National Infertility Awareness Week, I saw uh, a post and it, I, th- I shared it and it was about a group of African-American doctors, all female, and uh, which I thought was interesting, you know, seeing mm-hmm. no African-American ma- male uh, reproductive reproductive doctors, but they were all female and they were opening this dialogue and this discussion around, you know, African-Americans and infertility. And I thought it was really great. And it was just exciting for me to see that because it's really the mm-hmm. first time in, and I've been doing this for 10 years. So it's a start, you know, but yeah, right. you're right. And they said that, um, that African-Americans women may be more affected by infertility. I think there are, I think, um, everyone's story is different and all the reasons are different, but I think a lot of African-American women um, are sub- are more subject to, and, and of course this is not scientific data, but to having fibroids and other types of mm-hmm. um, reproductive issues um, that kind of lend themselves to an infertility diagnosis. And so, yeah, it's, it's something that's, I think, uh, out there definitely that women are struggling with, but it's still not talked about as openly as I wish that it was. Me too. Me too. You know, and I think things like this will help to change that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you, you ha- like you said, you want to see someone like you that you can relate to and identify with. And that's important just, just because in general, that's just how we are. It's human nature. Right. And, you know, you want to ha- find similarities and ways that you can relate to each other and similar backgrounds and experiences. And I know they're out there. I know for sure. There are. They've come to see me and I hear the same thing that you're saying, which is we just don't talk about it. What do you think could be done aside from talking more about it? Um, are there some groups that you could, you know, that are just designated for, for African-Americans? Is that something you've found at all? I have. Um, so doing uh, our, my research, um, I've been really lucky to find some really good therapists, uh, reproductive therapists like yourself, um, and then just doing my own research online with uh, different Facebook groups and social media groups where there are some that are, of course, open to everyone to participate in. And through those groups, you'll find other people who um, are similar to you or just through conversation on the chats or so forth, you find something in common with those other African-American women on there. Um, And then those groups and connections will lead you to other groups. And so I have found a couple groups that are specifically for women of color um, to just talk about some of the unique challenges that we face while we're going through this process. And I found those to be really helpful. So I think just to increase uh, increasing those types of groups, um, I think being more open about it, um, having the conversations, not being afraid to talk about it. I mean, I know I was afraid to talk about it with anyone um, mm-hmm. when we first started going through our journey. And it was through other people being open with me about their struggles mm-hmm. um, that I found the courage to mm-hmm. um, be more open about mine. That's what I was just going to ask you is what, what helped you to yeah. speak out, begin speaking out? So I actually, we had been 
trying to conceive, I guess, for a number of years, maybe three or four years at that point in time. And I came across an, uh, a high school friend of mine mm-hmm. and um, she and I were really good friends, actually since elementary school. And we reconnected and we were just talking about um, starting a family and, and so forth. And she said, well, you know, we are going to have to do IVF. And around that time, I had just uh, found out, we had not too long found out that that was probably going to be the best option for us. And I just kind of stopped and I thought, really? And she said, yeah. And I thought, oh my gosh, she's being so open. I mean, here, I haven't seen her in years. Mm-hmm. And um, we just happened across paths. And she was just so open with me about her journey. Come to find out we were actually at the same, going to the same doctor. Um, and she ended up being such just a great support for me. Um, she's not another African-American woman, but just someone that I had known for mm-hmm. a long time. And just the fact that she was so open with me, I was always going to be uh, to her for being so open. And that kind of gave me the encouragement mm-hmm. to not be so silent about it. Yeah, it is. It is so good when someone else will just s- speak about it mm-hmm. and not have that feeling of shame or embarrassment or, you know, you know, a lot of times it's not even shame and embarrassment. Sometimes it's that you're worried you're going to make the other person uncomfortable. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's that. And then you, so it gets, it get, that can definitely be tricky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's great. And I think that w- more we can encourage people to find that trusted person. Obviously you can't go and not everybody wants to go and shout to the masses about it. And that completely makes sense because we have to have privacy and it, we're vulnerable. You know, it's a very sensitive, very tender time. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And I think that also tends to, um, I know I'm sure we'll get to this soon in our conversation, but when mm-hmm. you're finding yourself at different stages of the process, um, mm-hmm. You know, at, at some point during our journey, we were told that donor eggs is probably going to be our best choice um, to, if we really wanted to conceive or in, um, and, and for me to carry. And so that opened up a whole, a whole other set of circumstances and, oh, yeah. um, oh gosh, you know, who do we use and what's the donor selection pool going to be like and all the things that go along with that when you're trying to find mm-hmm. someone who looks like you, another person mm-hmm. of color. So that presented yeah. its own, its own set, set of challenges. Yeah. Tell us about the challenges. Were they, first of all, did you go to um, an egg bank then where you did your doctor have a bank they like to work with or? It did. So um, again, that's, it's such a multi-layered process when you're getting into mm-hmm. the third party reproduction stage of it. So we have a doctor that we loved, um, but you had to only use, if you were going to use donor eggs, you could only use donor eggs from that doctor's bank. Oh, yeah. um, and mm-hmm. there were only, you know, one or two people of color mm-hmm. uh, that we could choose from. And we were open to African-American and Hispanic um, or a mix. And still there was a very limited number. Um, So then we had to go outside to other banks um, and other facilities to look. And you really, we really struggled with finding someone that not only, you know, checked our boxes, so to speak, of what we were looking for um, in physical characteristics, but also the other things that were important mm-hmm. to us on our list. So mm-hmm. it's just such mo- much, much more of a limited um, donor pool. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you ended up not using the clinic with that had the limited choices. And we you, did not. Yeah. Yeah. That's too yeah, hard. That was, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard because, you know, you have to, you're sometimes choosing. And I, I mean, 
I think that the clinics that we're with, we love the doctors and we're happy there. We're confident about the doctors that we've selected. But, you know, if we had our choice, I would have rather have been with another doctor and the other um, clinic. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things where we really mm-hmm. just had to make a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I mean, that could happen when, when clinics make that you go through their mm-hmm. program. One, I... I don't like that. I'm just, I I just don't like that at all. (laughs) I don't think that's right. But also, you know, it's limited for anyone, but now you're looking for something more specific, you know, certain ethnicity, color, and that's even more limited. So now you're having to make these sacrifices on, you know, in the process, medical sacrifices and having to use a doctor, start all over, you know, that can cost more money, definitely more time. Absolutely. It's really, really does make the process so much harder. Did you end up going with the bank? Did you find there, there were enough choices there or you felt that was limited as well? So we probably scoured every bank that we could find. Um, mm-hmm. One, you know, there were definitely some banks that had a larger selection of donors of color than others. And then of course, um, you want to make sure that you're just looking at every bank that you can possibly look at to make sure that you're picking your donor, the one that speaks to you the most. Um, but I was really happy with the one that we used, the clinic, the donor um, bank that we used. Um, I thought that they really had a great selection of donors of color and they gave us a lot of the information um, that we were looking for on each of the donors because that was the other thing. There were some clinics who had, you know, great uh people who we thought would be great candidates, but the information was limited or you only saw childhood photos, um, no mm-hmm. adult photos or, mm-hmm. you know, one, one photo, no, you know, not a lot of information. So I just found it to be a much more um, daunting, daunting process and possibly even more challenging than some of uh, our counterparts or my counterparts that did not have that added layer of also having to, um, you know, prefer to have a donor of color that looked more like them. I thought that they had much wider selection out there than I did. Um, I'm very happy with the person that we selected, but it, I feel mm-hmm. like it just took a lot longer to get there and it placed an additional layer of challenge on top of something that's already so hard to to go through anyway. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah, absolutely. But um yeah, so it's just you know so interesting, and I think again, the more we talk about this, the more people will come out and 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 share. And I just know this episode is going to help a lot of women that are listening and have been waiting to hear someone like them on the show. Yes. Um, so I really appreciate that you coming on. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about, well, I wanted to back up, and I really should have started this with this, but it's interesting because I have clients that come to me from all over the world. You know what I I always use the term African American as well, but then what I find is I use that and then they'll be like Haitian. Hey, what do you, do you have any suggestions on that? Yeah, sure. So I mean I personally um, identify my as you know if, if someone asks me what I am I say I'm African American or sometimes I say um, you know I identify as black. But I think um, I prefer when I'm addressing someone who I may not know what their ethnic background is or what they prefer mm-hmm. uh, to be called, I say person of color. Um, person of color. Okay. And yeah. so I think that kind of, it's a broad enough term and then they can from there tell me, you know, what their preference is. But for us, I think um, it's going to vary by person to person, but I think, um, you know, I have 
a very multicultural background, you know, between my parents and my family. So um, I'm often mistaken for Latino or Hispanic or Dominican, um, Uh biracial, multiracial. And so I think that that kind of gave me some leeway in what I was looking for, because I think I found in the donor selection pool, people who had the most similar characteristics to me were um, Latina women, Hispanic okay. women, um, mm-hmm. um, African American, Black, or, or whatever, but or multicultural, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. that's kind of what we were looking for. Um, but I do think that um, members of the Asian community are also can also be referred to as as people people of color mm-hmm. and so forth. So I think mm-hmm. it just depends on what um, the the person is looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think it is important for people that are looking for donors to know that you, while you might not find that exact ethnic match, there are, like you said, combinations or variations that may still look like you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it depends on what's important to you. If it's, some people do want that actual ethnic background, like they want somebody from, you know, a certain sure. mm-hmm. region mm-hmm. of the world. Um, and it just kind of depends on how important sort of a family tree type information is, or if it's not as big a deal, some families aren't into that at all, it's not a big deal, then yeah, they go for more of how would the child look um, and and kind of more, I always use the term bonding over blending. So, you know, parents- Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Like you want to bond with your child and you can bond with them with the more you have in common, whether that be um, personality traits or physical traits. So, mm-hmm. you know, if a couple say, I just cannot find any, I'm not going to find my doppelganger. I'm not going to find somebody who looks just like me. And I would say, well, really focus on those traits that are like you. Cause sometimes they'll find a profile where like the personality and the hint, uh, hobbies and interests are really very, very similar. Exactly. When we first started kind of even thinking that that was the route that we were going to take, you know, we would kind of just dabble in okay let's just take a look because we weren't sure that that's you know that that's what we really wanted to do but we would just take a look and I just started looking at every profile and there were that there were definitely people that stood out to me like oh her educational background is similar to mine or oh I really like what her response was to this particular question or oh I really like that she did x y and z and then my Mm -hmm. husband would look at some of the people and say but they look nothing like you and I'm like oh okay so then we kind of had to stop and Mm -hmm. say okay well what are the things that are going to be most important to us and Mm -hmm. we definitely wanted to have someone um, who had characteristics that were similar to mine or interests that were similar. So you kind of have to do a balance and say, we did want someone who decided that it was important for us to have someone that did resemble me or looked like they could be in my family. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and we were lucky that we found someone who both, you know, had some similar characteristics to me physically, but that we also really, really liked the things in their profile too. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is, have you already been able to do the retrieval process with her or just that have you just been matched and going through that part? So we actually uh, did frozen eggs. So we've already purchased okay, the good. frozen eggs. Mm-hmm. Good, good. That means you don't have to, you know, wait to do the retrieval and then, you know, that who knows when we're going to start up with that again. And exactly. you know, you've already got them. So that's really good. Um, and you have a certain amount, right? That they give you within when you purchase that. It's like a lot, I think. Yes, we, we got a lot of six. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. And then do you, will she be available again if you needed to go back? If you wanted she like a sibling is, or? 
Right. She is not at the moment. So okay. we are going to keep our fingers crossed with the best outcome sure. with the Absolutely. six that we have. And then, yeah. you know, we'll cross that bridge if we have to, again, to come to, um, to get back to the drawing table. Yeah. But I think, you know, we're just going to cross our fingers that we get a good outcome with the six that we have. Yeah. So, you know, we were talking about the kind of the layers of complexity for you and the most added difficulties that you have. So, you know, you're going down this route, you know, Mm -hmm. it's hard enough to talk about infertility. You start talking about it, then you realize we're going to need to use a donor egg. Now, how does that, you know, that must feel like another layer of, you know, it's hard to talk about. Um, What have you come up with? I mean, what have you come up against with that? Have you been able to share yet? Or is it... So some of our, um, well, you know, it took us a while to go through that grieving process to get to the point of using um, donor eggs. And I think that now that we're we're here, that's some of the things that we're talking with each other about. My husband and I all the time, we're working with our therapist. Um, we're reading your books, working oh, your workbook, yeah. um, Three Meeks Baby, and just you know, trying to see you know, what are we comfortable with talking about right now? How are we mm-hmm. going to answer certain questions that come up? Who do we want to share with now? Who is it maybe more appropriate to share with at a later time um, as the process continues? So definitely some close family members and close friends know, but we mm-hmm. feel like right now we're still early in the process. As you know, there's like so many layers to um to this, but yeah, so we're, mm-hmm. we're working through right now, I think, um, mm-hmm. processing, how are we going to tell, who do we want to tell? Mm-hmm. We definitely want to tell the child. We definitely think that's important to tell early and often at uh, age appropriate times. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that we agreed on from the very, very beginning. Um, mm-hmm. and be, and because we're doing that, we will be open with others as well. Um, family and friends and people that we come into contact with. And I, I'm just glad that we're finding, resources like yours and mm-hmm. different support groups so that we can keep in contact with other couples and families who have chosen this method of um, building their families so that we mm-hmm. always have a support system and that our future mm-hmm. children also have a, have a, that same support system. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think your family will respond okay well they need an adjustment period I know oh, no. They, <clears throat> no they'll be good they've been, <laughs> they've been <laughs> probably a little bit. Um, we're ready for it probably a little bit before we were. So yeah, oh, they're, yeah. they're full steam ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. That's good. That makes yeah, it that's, Oh yeah. That's great. Yeah. We're very, very um, lucky in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good to continue to have these, you know, storytelling is how we change narratives and mm-hmm. over time. And so when we, like you and I were telling stories and we're talking about it, this is how we change and we help people to understand how we can start to speak about this differently in a different, in a different way. And I think having, your resources and your tools and your books and your podcasts and other podcasts um, that I follow and listen to and having the support groups that are public on public fl- platforms like Facebook, which is where I found a lot of the groups that I'm in um, and having the national infertility awareness week um, on social media, on Instagram. I mean, those types of things are bringing the issue to a forefront where people are who who may not have believed that it was solely a medical condition are starting to realize, oh, maybe there is something else to this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. What are do you have any other you know suggestions? You've had really great guidance and advice for people that are listening. Is you know seek support in 
in groups that you can feel comfortable with and that you can identify with um, and find them online or in social media. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Seek out resources in terms of doctors too that you feel comfortable with. And if they were, if there was somewhere they could turn to for advice about, or just more information about this donor profile, looking for donors that, that are women of color, did you pretty much have to do your own research on that? I had to do my own research and I would just encourage uh, women to, um, I'm, you know, everyone goes through, has different things that are important to them and different parameters around their IVF journey, whether it's cost or timing or, or what have you. But I think just do your research and explore all the options. Um, I was just kind of relentless with um, looking at different banks and profiles um, in within the chat groups that I was in. If I saw a person of color, like, hey, where did you find your donor? Or, hey, where did you, what doctor are you going to? Um, where's there a, a wide selection of donors of color? And mm-hmm. um, then following up on, on that information. We need, it's almost like we need a bank like that. That we do. Is, yeah, for, for women of color. It's, I totally agree. Yeah. I cannot agree more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because again, it's just important that you can go somewhere where you, you know, to find what you're looking for and not having to do so much extra leg work. It's um, so much. Yeah. yeah. Or did you find a doctor that was helpful in this way? Um, not in the selection process. I think they okay. were helpful in the sense that, okay, here's a list of, um, of, of banks that you can go to and kind of search their profiles. Um, and I did that. And I think at the different banks or clinics I would come across, they, there were people within those organizations that would say, Hey, um, you know, this person may be good for, fit for you or, or that kind of thing. But no, I think, you know, they, gave me kind of like a start and then you kind of have to just take it on. I mean, it's, it's going to be you and your partner's decision and um, your child. So I think you've got to um, put the time and the energy and the legwork into it. But um, I, I think too, there's only really so much they can do. I mean, now if I called yeah. back with, with specific questions about a profile or a donor, absolutely. They were, you know, mm-hmm more than happy to take time with me to tell me what they could tell me, what they were allowed to share with me. And so from that standpoint, I do think that they were very, very helpful and patient. Um, Mm -hmm. But as far as like doing the legwork, um, yeah, I think that was my partner and I, my husband and I did a lot of that on, on our own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Speaking of him, how does he feel about everything? Was, did he go through a, you know, his own grieving process as well? Definitely. I think that mm-hmm. we, we both still are um, yeah, to yeah. a certain extent. And that's one of the things I've learned from listening to some of your previous podcasts mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it may always kind of be a, a grief journey of, of some mm-hmm. sort to some extent. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he's definitely been a little bit ahead of me in the process of kind of being ready to move to the next step. I think um, there's usually one partner or the other that's a little bit um ahead of the other. That's right. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think because I was the one having the, the egg issue, I, I think I kind of took a little bit longer to grieve each step of that process than mm-hmm. he did. Um, but he's been a wonderful support. Um, and I think he's um, looking forward to the next step in the process. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I wonder if there is less African American women or women of color that are wanting to donate in the first place? 
I think so. I yeah. think there's, um, well, for one, I don't know how many, and, and I'm not up on how um, they even find out about the opportunity. There's some recruitment I mean, I do, that goes on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I hear ads from time to time. Mm-hmm. Ads on, on you know, campuses, yeah, college sure. campuses and things. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what all goes into the recruitment process, so to speak. Um, feels weird mm-hmm. to use that word, but that's more I or know, less what it is. I know, I know. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm not sure what goes into that. So I'm not sure how many of them know about it. Um, so I'd be curious to find out what all is involved with that, but um, and maybe mm-hmm. increase it amongst those um, communities of color. But I do think that there's there's less of a number of women of color who know about it and then to choose to do that um, and then I think mm-hmm. those who do I think they're still probably some of that family um, upbringing of hey we don't talk about this we don't do this and so they're not open ID mm-hmm. so okay. I think mm-hmm. that, that I think and I'm guessing here but I would imagine that, that that plays a part into it as well yeah I did find that there was a larger selection of um uh, people of color and of mixed background in those larger cities like California. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas actually has quite a bit and then also New York. So I think mm-hmm. um, for people who are looking um, just to keep those things in mind when you're looking That's at good to know. Um, different areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely good to know. So I just wanted to share to you that I think just from a, um, not just a woman, woman of color perspective, but just as women in general, just to mm-hmm. be, um, an advocate for yourself and to start finding out about your fertility early. Mm -hmm. I do. And I've heard this on your podcast before too, but I just want to just further stress and reiterate that, that, um, you know, find out where you stand early, even if you're not wet, even if you're not ready to start a family, find out about options of freezing your eggs. Um, um, you know, I went through graduate school and all that. So I know it's, there's some people who want to take time to further their education and focus on their career, but I really, mm. um, would encourage women, um, everywhere to just, if it's even a thought that you may want to have the option to have a family, just really talk to your doctor, be your own advocate, consider preserving your eggs and your fertility early on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So many women that come to my, t- my office in tears and, of all backgrounds and say, um, I just didn't know, like, I really wanted to be successful in my career first and then have a baby. And I waited until everything was perfect. And now I have a good job and a good house and a husband. And now I'm 38 and my egg reserve is, is diminished and Mm -hmm. almost, yeah. And they're just devastated. And mine was earlier than that. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, mine is early thirties. I was, had early diminished ovarian reserve in my early thirties and had no idea, had never had any health problems or complications or anything that would even Mm -hmm. alert me that that was going on. So I think just educating yourself and asking for, Mm -hmm. you know, the simple blood work and hormone testing that can give you answers. And, and then you have that information. Yeah. Um, and then you can decide from there. Yeah. And if they say, oh, no, 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 you're fine. You're too young. You're fine. Trust your intuition and yes. just fi- find another doctor and yes. do it. And just insist that they do it. And if, they, if you are fine, great. Then you know you don't have to worry. Exactly. So, yeah. I agree. Very good. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Jana. Sure thing. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow for more content, 
can go to my Instagram and Facebook account at Jana Rupnow LPC or follow Three Makes Baby on Instagram. You can get a copy of my book and the companion workbook to Three Makes Baby on Amazon. If you like this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. Have a great day.